Our Old Testament reading this morning is, comes from Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, and then verses 13 through 14. That is going to be read responsibly. And then I will be reading the New Testament reading, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Let us all hear the word of the Lord as we read it together. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. now from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. This is the word of the Lord. I must tell you, uh, the leader of our children's church is Hallie Knox, and she had a bad Thanksgiving. Uh, She had emergency surgery, and the good news is that the Lord used it and blessed it, and she is uh, healing right now, but of course is not with us this morning. We need to pray for Hallie Knox, and when you pray for her, thank the Lord for what she's doing. She's, the Lord is using her in a powerful way at Christ Covenant Church. We're taking a break from our study in Revelation. For those of you that are visiting, we've been in the book of Revelation uh, since May, June, uh, moving verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter through that book. But when we came to Thanksgiving last Sunday morning, we uh, started Thanksgiving week with a Thanksgiving message. What a great time that was. So many of you have called me about that, and we'll do the same thing next year. But this is, as Bryant reminded us this morning, this is the first Sunday of Advent. 
and as we begin to focus on the birth of Christ. And for the next, uh, or during this Advent season, for the next four Sundays, we're going to focus on the incarnation and what that means. I have a question for you. You might be sitting there saying, well, I know about the incarnation. Do we have to spend four Sundays there? I can't think of a more important subject for the church right now, for the evangelical church right now, than this topic. In fact, that's why I've chosen to do it. So I'm going to ask you a question. In this Christmas season, in this Christmas season, are you, will you celebrate the birth of Jesus? Or will you be celebrating the incarnation? It's a huge question. Because a large part of the church today, the physical church, during this Advent season, will be focused on the birth of a man they call Jesus. But they won't be focused on the incarnation. This morning, we will begin to answer that question. Why is it so important that we focus on the incarnation? Because the answer to it is because much of the church will be focused just on the birth of a man, a Messiah, and that's all. With that being said, let's pray and ask the Father to teach us this morning. Our Father, we bow before you, a congregation of priests. What a great doctrine, Father. The priesthood of all believers. It's not that Brian and I are priests, or the leaders of the church are priests, and the rest of the congregation is not. We're all priests. He's called us to be priests. We've spent the week being out in the world, trying to be prophets, trying to tell the world around us about Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been out there trying to be salt and light with the gospel. But when we assemble here, we've come back before your throne to be priests, to pray for each other, to pray for that world out there, to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, to pray for our children, our parents, our families, our neighbors. And Father, in that duty, you have blessed us. Thank you for the healing that you have brought to so many in this congregation through the prayers of your priests. And this morning we continue with those prayers. Father, we pray that you would continue to heal and bless Elizabeth Metnikow. Father, bless this surgery that has taken place to bring about healing. And we pray that you would take away the pain and that hour by hour and day by day and week by week, you would bring healing. Miss Hallie Knox, Father, we thank you for the surgery. Thank you for the many answered prayers that brought about that surgery. We pray that her recovery would be speedy and that soon she would be again at full strength. Thank you for how you're using her in our congregation and the difference she's making. We pray for Phil Halley this morning, Father. We pray, Father, that you would continue to sustain him. But more than that, we pray that you would bless and bring about a full recovery in every way. 
Father, give the doctors wisdom. Everyone around him in the medical community, give them wisdom to see what needs to be seen, to do what needs to be done. We thank you for Bill Strong's recovery, Father. And we pray that you would strengthen him. Cause the doctors to see and know what needs to be done. We pray for the Cruz family, the Morrison family. Especially tomorrow, Father. We pray that that worship at the memorial service for Kate will be filled with your spirit. And that, Father, you would, there would be a true thanksgiving for her life. And that there would be an affirmation of the gospel that she is home now. No more sickness, no more pain. Bless that time. Now as we open your word, our Father, we pray that you would teach us. John Sartell cannot teach so that it will make any difference in our lives. So that we'll be changed in the core of our being. Or that change that you once brought about, that that change will continue. Father, he can't do that. And you know, Father, that this is not just religious rhetoric on my part. You know that I know this. I believe the congregation knows this. And so all of us together throw ourselves before you upon your grace and ask that in these next few minutes we would hear your voice in our hearts. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Teach us, Father. Teach us. Amen. The story of the Son of God before the incarnation. Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary on Philippians, writes of a time that he and a friend visited the ruins of the ancient city of Thebes. Thebes, at one time, had been the capital of Egypt. They were touring the great temple erected by Amenophis III. On top of one of them, this was a massive temple, and on top of one of the columns, gigantic high columns, there was a house, a small house on top of the column. They asked about it. The guide told them that at some time prior to the excavations of the temple, a local farmer had been looking for a place to build his house. And he sifted through the sand, dug through the sand until he hit bedrock, or what he thought was bedrock. After he built his house, the wind gradually blew away much of the sand, and he discovered that his house was, a, was on rock, but it was a hand-carved stone. Of course, he called in the officials, the archaeologists came, and they had this gigantic dig. And here was this temple built by Amenophis. When the excavations were completed, that house was on top of this column, 80 feet in the air. Now the farmer knew his house was on a solid surface. But he knew little of the true nature of that foundation. That's the way many of us are as Christians. We build our lives on Jesus, we say, but we know little of him. As we excavate digging into the truths of Scripture, we discover a vast and ancient, the vast and ancient nature of this foundation that we have in Jesus. It's much larger, deeper 
than we can ever grasp. That's what we're about this morning. We're excavating scripture to see the ancient, eternal life of the Son of God. So as John, we read it this morning with Brian. As John begins his gospel, his story of Jesus, he does not begin with Mary and Joseph. He does not begin with the angel coming to Mary and Joseph. He does not begin in Nazareth or in Bethlehem. In fact, he doesn't even begin in Israel. He doesn't even begin on earth. He begins to speak of the pre-existent Son of God. Look at John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in the second verse, he repeats it. He, he was in the beginning with God. John meant for this verse at the beginning of his gospel to be a parallel to Genesis 1, 1. You know Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John, at the beginning of his story of Jesus, writes, In the beginning was the Word. Was the Word. Do you see it? In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. It's a parallel John intended. Now the Greek word used there Many of you know for word is the Greek word logos. Logos. The word meant, the actual, the the word logos meant word. It also could mean thought. It could be reason. In Jewish theology, how did God create the universe? He spoke the universe into being. It was created by his word. We read in Psalms, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. God said, let there be light. And there was light. John was saying that the son of God was that word. The Greek word, or excuse me, the Greek, in Greek thought, not Jewish theology, but in Greek thought, logos meant the reason behind the universe, the logic behind the universe. So whether you were a Jew reading John's gospel, or you were a Greek reading John's gospel, you would have understood that John was using logos, speaking of God. Speaking of deity, the Logos, however, was not just a spoken word. The Logos was a person. Now, I warn you, I've been struggling with this for a long time, 50 years of ministry. I haven't begun to get my mind around it. This week, I spent probably 20 hours reading a game about this. But the truth is, when we're home in glory, we still won't get it all. That's the depth of it. That's the wonder of it. But we can know this. We can know that John was saying that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the word was God now John was writing his gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ so what did that have to do with Jesus well the most astounding astonishing stupendous universe changing words in scripture and all of scripture are right here we read in this morning in John 1 14 what are those words the most astounding words and the word And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word that was God, the Word that was with God, became flesh. John is talking about the incarnation. The Greek word in, meaning 
in, I-N, a preposition, just like it is in our language, and incarnate, flesh, in flesh. John is obviously speaking about Jesus. This is his story of Jesus. The real beginning, John is saying, the real beginning of Jesus does not take place in Nazareth. It does not take place. The real beginning of Jesus did not take place in the womb of Mary. The real beginning did not happen in Bethlehem. You want to know about Jesus? You must begin with the Son of God in eternity. I'm so glad we've been studying Revelation just prior to this series. It helps us to understand what John is doing. What is the subject of Revelation? Do you know this, those of you that have been here? The subject of Revelation, it is the story of the Son of God and Son of Man after he returned to glory. What has he been about the last 2,000 years? That's the subject. Here is Jesus ascending. Revelation is what happens after he physically ascends back to glory. Revelation is the story of the risen ascended, reigning Son of God and Son of Man in glory. Then it makes sense. Think of Stay with me here. It makes sense then. It makes sense that John would begin his gospel with the Son of God in glory before he took on flesh, before his incarnation. That's exactly where Jesus began, or where John begins his story of Jesus. Here at the beginning of the gospel is a story of Jesus before the incarnation. The story of Jesus in glory prior to his coming, or the story of the Son of God prior to his coming in the flesh. And then here's the gospel of John, that's the Son of, the son of God and Son of Man in his ministry and death and resurrection. And then here is the story. John concludes the New Testament with the story of the Son of God and Son of Man after he returns to glory. I love being, I'm from the mountains. I would love to be on top, love being on top of a mountain where I could look out and see the valley where I grew up, the town where I grew up. Or when you're in a high building and you can see the city it's laid out before you or when you're flying and you see the country laid out before you it's a unique perspective all of us can identify with that sometimes this has had a profound effect on us as we've seen where our lived our day where we live our daily lives from that perspective think back think back to when you saw earth from a satellite or from the astronauts on the moon and those first pictures that we saw do you realize that until 20th century no one ever saw anything like that it was a different perspective well it's one thing if you look at Jesus as a Messiah born in Bethlehem It's quite another if you look at Jesus as a son of God from eternity who took on flesh. The son of God becoming the son of man so that we now refer to him as a son of God and son of man. We cannot understand the life of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the profound nature of the atoning death of Jesus apart from the eternal son of God. How Jesus can be truly man and truly God, that's a mystery. We can't get our minds around it. We can know that before the Son of God took on flesh, he was the eternal Son of God with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Louis Burkhoff, a brilliant, brilliant Dutch theologian, wrote this sentence, and you ought to write it down. Jesus the man did not acquire deity. 
Jesus the man did not acquire deity. Rather, the eternal Son of God took on humanity. Thus, Jesus is the Son of God and Son of Man. Well, you say, John, how do we know the Son of God as we, as we know Jesus after his birth? How can we know that he was indeed preexistent at that time? Well, we could spend the rest of our time just looking through Old Testament passages. We'll only look at one where God says this to us. Look at Micah 5, 2 on your scripture sheet or turn to it in your Bible. But you, O Bethlehem of Ratha, who are too little to be born among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. One's coming. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. If you would ask any, any Jew in the 20th, in the first century who's that who's the person to whom Micah refers in Micah 5 2 they've said the Messiah well where's the Messiah he He says his origin is from old from ancient days look how Jesus spoke just plainly about it look at John 3 12 and 13 I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except him who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That was Jesus' favorite title of himself. He came out of Daniel. The coming Messiah would be a Son of Man. And he spoke about himself in that way more than using that title more than any other. He spoke about himself as being the Son of God, but also as a Son of Man. Look at John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Look at John 8, 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, they made fun of him. You are not yet 30 years, you're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He's actually using, claiming to be God there, using the Greek phrase, I am, meaning God. What did, when Moses was at the burning bush, who shall I say sent me? Tell them, I am that I am. Let's finish that verse there in in John chapter 8. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Why did they pick up stones? They were going to stone him to death. Why? Because he was claiming to be deity. He said, I knew Abraham. Look at John 17, 4 and 5. I glorified you on earth. He's talking to the Father in heaven. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. His apostles understood what he said. Look at Philippians 2, 6 and 7. This is the apostle Paul. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Before I came to Memphis in 1977, I came in November of 1977, I lived in the mountains of Virginia. I lived in a little town called Cedar Bluff, Virginia. No one in Memphis knew me. I didn't know anyone in Memphis. Just so, the Son of God was in heaven before he became man through the incarnation. So it's very simple. John comes to it, and he's, he comes to the subject. Who is Jesus? He's the preexistent Son of God. Well, who is this son of God who took on flesh in the womb of Mary? Who is he? Well, John tells us in our text. He says that the son lived in harmonious union with the father and the spirit. Look at John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And then at the beginning, in verse 2, he repeats that. And the word was with God. 
If he was God, why did he say that he was with God? Here you see the Trinity. We cannot know how God can be three persons and still be one. That's a mystery. We can only observe the truth of it in Scripture. What did the son say just before he returned home? Here's the son of God who's become the son of man. He's returning home. And what does he say in Matthew 28, 19? This is to his disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I had a teacher in junior high school and high school. And she used to take great pride in explaining the mysteries of the universe to us. And she would say, you know why God created you. You know why God created mankind. Because God was lonely. God was lonely. So he made someone to be with him. God, (laughs) that's blasphemous. God, lonely? Mm Mm-mm. He's God. And you see in Scripture the Father communicating with the Son. And you see the Son communicating with the Father. And you see the Father and Son communicating with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we hear Jesus as the Son of Man, Son of God, communicating with the Father. Look at John 17 this afternoon. We need to know that such communication in such words of intimacy had been taking place for an eternity. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we read that the covenant was cut between the Father and the covenant of our redemption was cut between the Father and the Son before the foundation of the world. So you may be sitting there now thinking, okay, What does this truth, what does this doctrine have to do with me? Here's the great wonder. The son came to draw us in to that harmonious relationship that he has with the father and with the Holy Spirit. Where do I get that? It's right here in our text. Look at John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, what? He gave the right to become the children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. He's saying that we have been born into the harmonious relationship that the Son had with the Father. Jesus is our elder brother. I have three children, Jill and John and Jamie. And I hear from them all week long. And we're blessed as a family. They're close to each other, and we're close. And they call me, tell me some funny story about what one of their children, or what one or two or three of their children have done. They might call me about a complicated issue that they're facing, or they might call me just to talk about the news and what's going on in our nation. But you know what they do? They call me something that you don't call me, and no one else calls me. They call me Dad. Hey, Dad, how are you? What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say when the disciples came and said, teach us to pray? Jesus told them something they had never heard. It's not in the Old Testament. He told them, I'll tell you how to pray. Begin this way. Father, Abba, the everyday word for dad, for father, said call him father. That was incredible. That almost seemed blasphemous. So you have the pre-existent son. And what's that have to do with us? 
The Son lived in harmonious union with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and He calls us in to that harmonious relationship. Do you realize? It's through Jesus Christ. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit changing our lives and changing our heart that we're born into this family and that we actually go and say, Father. Thirdly, the Son lived in harmonious union with the Father and the Holy Spirit designing and creating. Look at verses 3 and 4. All things were made through Him. This is the Son, the Word. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. If you have life, it came from Him. Anything created, it came from Him. That's what the Son of God was doing before the Incarnation. Read Revelation this afternoon about the angels and creatures at the throne of God. We've talked about these in our study. What was the Son doing all through eternity? He was creating those angels, the cherubim, the seraphim. Some of those creatures you said, who are they? I said, I don't know who they are. But I know one thing. The Word created them. Go out on a dark night and look at the Pleiades, the Big Dipper, the Mars. What was God doing? What was the Son doing? Who's creating all of that? Now, get this. When mankind fell, affecting all of creation, remember? What happened? The creating Son comes to creation to redeem and to restore. You think about the miracles. In the four Gospels, all these miracles, what no man could do, blind to see, the deaf to hear, the paralyzed to walk, just by command, not by prayer, but by command. And we read that one, one reason for those miracles was so that you would know that he was a son of God, so that you would know he was deity because only God could do something like that. But there was another reason for it. There was another reason that he made blind people to see and deaf people to hear. All of that was a result of the fall. And every time Jesus encountered the fall, he pushed it back. I'll make the blind to see. I'll make the deaf to hear. You know what? He's called us. So what's that have to do with us? Are we just observing it and saying, hey, that's, that's cool. It is cool. But more than that, more than that, he's called us to, be, to take part in the redemption, his creation. He's called us what? Right at the beginning of Matthew, he tells us to do what? To be salt and light in his creation. To be witnesses of the gospel. You see, that redemption and restoration has all you're a personal, you're a personal witness. If you know Christ, if you've been born again, you are a personal witness to the incarnation. You're a personal witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're a personal witness to the gospel. And what you know, that's what happened. When you were born again, when I was born again, he was pushing back the darkness in our lives. And he uses us, he calls us to participate in pushing back the darkness. Now one day he's going to return and the darkness will be gone forever. And the results of the fall will be gone forever. But until that time, we're to be engaged. Whether it's feeding the hungry, whether it's building hospitals or children's homes. You know, here we're, we love Palmer Home and taking care of the children there. What are we doing? We're pushing back the darkness. We're giving those children's homes. So we see the preexistent son. We see the son lived in harmonious union with the Father and Holy Spirit and calls us to participate in that relationship. 
The Son lived in harmonious union with the Father and the Holy Spirit, designing and creating and calling us to participate in the restoration of his creation. And fourthly and finally, we've come to the end. The Son living in harmonious union with the Father and the Holy Spirit in glory came to call us to that glory. Look at John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. As John said, we, we saw the glory. What did he mean by that? I think he meant two things. I think one, he was referring to all the miracles. How glorious would it be to see Jesus say to a man, open your eyes and see. And the man opens his eyes and sees. He says, here. And the man here, he goes up to someone that's paralyzed and says, take a, just stand up and walk. And the man stands up and walks. That would be glorious. What happened when he did that? People would worship. It's a glorious sight. But I think he's also referring to one time in his life. He saw something that he had never seen before. Besides the deaf hearing and the blind seeing, he saw something happen to Jesus. They had just confessed in Caesarea that he was the Christ, the Son of God. They just didn't say, you're the Christ. They said, you are Christ, the Son of God, the Son of God from eternity. A few days later, he put an exclamation point on their confession. Look at Matthew 17, 1. And after six days, that six days after their confession, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. He would, in verse 5, he was speaking then. He was speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. saw Jesus, the Son of God, what he looked like before the incarnation. They saw his glory. This was something. This was the glory that he had laid aside. Paul said he laid aside that glory in Philippians, remember? This was a glory that he missed. Look at John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me with your own presence, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You say, okay. What does that have to do with me, though? Jesus came to call us into that glory. Look at Romans 8, 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. There's a coming glory. Look at, let's finish that. Look at the 19th verse. For the creation waits eagerly he waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. There's going to be a glory about us. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Weight of Glory. Great little book. And he said he was put off by this. When you said, well, what's this mean? You know, that we're, we're going to be, there's going to be a glory about us. He said it put him off. He said, when you think about glory, you think about fame. You know, that you're famous. You get glory. Or it's luminosity, shining, brightness. And he, he was put off by both of those. But then he went on to say that he had a change of mind. And it was reading the Bible that changed his mind. 
He said, our glory will be something like fame, but will be a fame conferred by God. Remember when the father said to the son, we just read it, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That was the glory of Jesus, the father's commendation. Now just think about this. Just so when Jesus, the son of God and son of man, confesses us before all of earth and all of heaven, when he points to you and me, when he points to us and says, they're with me, they're mine. Sometimes we think, sometimes we think, I just wish I knew that person. I wish I, I wish I could meet that person. I wish I knew him. I wish they knew me. What would it mean to you if, think of some hero that you have right now. Get that mind in you again. If that person walked in here right now and began to talk to you in front of everyone, you would say, mm, I'm for it. That'd be glory, wouldn't it? That's what Jesus is going to do. Before all of heaven, before the Father, before the cherubim, before the seraphim. They're with me. They're mine. What was it? What you? What will be the worst thing you could hear at the return of Jesus? The words of the greatest shame, depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. Our glory will be that Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, died for us. He wrapped his arms around us. But also glory is light. It's luminosity. The brightness of his glory. The noonday sun. Jesus shone like the noonday sun on that mountain. And so will we shine. Sometimes we look at the beauty of the dawn, the sun, the sunrise, or the beauty of the sunset, and we say, what glorious beauty. Well, you know, that sunrise or that sunset is inanimate. It doesn't respond. It can't reply to our admiration. But God shall call all of heaven to look at the beauty of his people. We will be dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. We will be dressed in the robes of Jesus. We read in Revelation 21 2, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The church of Jesus Christ is the bride of Christ. All of heaven will look and see this glory, dressed in his glory dressed in his robes. So the preexistent son, the son of God from eternity, he calls us into his eternity to live in harmonious union with him, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, to participate in the redemption of creation and to be a part of his glory. What do we say when a dear friend dies in Christ? What do we say? He or she has gone home to glory. That's what the incarnation means. That's what we celebrate. Amen. Our hymn is so fitting. All glory be to Christ.